Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Minnesota Twins system. We're going to look at Royce Lewis and what's next after he sadly tore his ACL for the second time in two years, the excitement behind Emmanuel Rodriguez, and where the Twins prospects fit with the team trying to compete for another playoff appearance. To do all that, I'm joined by J.J. Cooper. J.J., thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. All right, JJ, before we dive into the twin system, we do need to talk about where this franchise is because they're in a little bit of an interesting place. Uh, they've had two straight losing seasons. Last year, they were in first place into early August, but really collapsed at the end of the year. Uh, they went 11 and 22 uh, from September on and finished under 500 for the second straight year. Um, but that hasn't deterred them. They re-signed Carlos Correa after he did not sign with the Giants or Mets uh, due to concerns about his physical. They traded for Pablo Lopez. This is a team that's been trying to add for a while. We saw last offseason they traded for Chris Paddock. Um, you know, they signed Carlos Correa in the first place. So this is a team that is trying to contend and adding pieces to do so. With that, the farm system has lost some depth, but there are still some good players here. When you look at the Twins, how do you kind of assess where they are as a franchise, especially in the context of, you know, of being in the AL Central? So I do the, I've done them before, and I'm back doing the Twins list, and, and I try to keep track of kind of what's being said, what's being written about teams that I do the 30s for. And the sense I get is, is that Twins fans are, uh, are kind of um, a little frustrated these days, which I get, they haven't, they haven't won the last two years. They haven't won a playoff series in longer than anyone would like to, uh, to, to remember, you know, to admit, but, but at the same time, I do look at when you talk about kind of these, you call the twins, a small revenue team. Uh, I mean, they're big at best, a mid revenue team. And especially now that they've brought Carlos Correa back, I, I look at this and say, you know, I feel like that this is a team that's had a very strong offseason, um, adding uh, a middle of the order shortstop to to a team that 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 also has gone out. The Lopez trade plays a part in this too. Although, man, I did discover from that Twins fans they do love themselves. Luis Arias, it's a very good player, but man, the 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 hatred of that trade kind of shocked me because it just felt like a a pretty straightforward good baseball trade like both teams got something of value the fact that the twins got prospects back in addition kind of made me go oh i think it looks like a good trade for the twins but i feel like that this is a team that has fixed what was their biggest problem in the last two years in the last two years if you say why have the twins not been as good as they wanted to be as twins fans wanted them to be pitching you would two things i would say pitching but I would say it's pitching and depth because they are a team that 
when their lineup also, when everyone's healthy and everyone's play, you know, playing at full speed, they were fine. And then when injuries arose, then all of a sudden you went from having Byron Buxton, who, you know, playing great defense in center field, hitting homers, all that, to, oh, it's Kyle Garlick today. Oh, it's Gilberto Celestino more than we want to see Gilberto Celestino. Oh, man, Jake Cave's out there a lot. And so it went from, I mean, you, you went to a situation in the last two years, you've had situations where it's like, they're playing players who you really probably want to play 20 games a year and they're playing a hundred games a year. And they've done that. Pitching has also done that. It's like they would start the season. It's like, if everyone stayed healthy in this rotation, they'll be okay. And then it was like, wow, Devin Smeltzer is getting more starts than maybe they wanted him to. Or again, just go down the list of these guys. And this has happened multiple years. Now, I feel like that this 2023 Twins team, I would describe it as a team that if they have a problem, I don't know who their number one starter is because this is a rotation of, I would describe it as number threes to number four starters. But I also don't know who their number five starter is because I could argue, I could almost argue, if you want to say that Tyler Molle could be their best starter or it could be their worst of their projected rotation, I could make the argument. If you said Joe Ryan fits somewhere in that range, Pablo Lopez is probably more at the front in that range. I would say on that, but Kenta Maeda, you know, if healthy all year is a guy who you're like, okay, this guy has had stretches of, of being really effective. They've just got a, they, they have managed to get themselves to a point now where when, not if, Let's just be clear right now when Byron Buxton goes on the IL at some point, because his knees do seem like that that is something where it's just something you should pencil in as part of a year. Michael A. Taylor is a great caddy, like a guy who you don't want him to be your center fielder for 140 games. But if you said he needs to play center field for you for the next two weeks, you're fine. You're not looking at this and saying, oh, how are we going to struggle struggle through this? We're going to talk about Royce Lewis at some point on this. When you say to me, though, where does Royce Lewis play? Right now, we don't have an answer for that. It's going to probably be they're going to have this guy at the midpoint of the season's ready to go. And where was he going to play? Kind of wherever they have a need at that point. You know, where is uh, you know, they, they have more outfielders than really that they have spots in the outfield right now. They have depth. If they don't, if they lack something, it's you'd love to see come postseason. I don't love their rotation. If they're matching up against a team who has front of the rotation guys, they don't have that. But as far as getting through a season, they seem well equipped to be a effective team, even when injuries strike. Yeah. I mean, the twins have five good starters now and they haven't had that in a while. And most of them are guys that have been acquired in the last two years. Sonny Gray and Tyler Molle acquired in trades last year. Pablo Lopez acquired in a trade. Joe Ryan acquired uh, mid-season trade July 2021 as a prospect. So they've done a nice job of acquiring guys that can really, you know, give them a good deep rotation almost entirely in trades. Kent Tamayda was a trade acquisition. Chris Paddock is, is on the IL after having Tommy John surgery for the second time, but he's a trade acquisition. They've you know, acquired really six, at least cromulent big league starters, and, and a couple of whom are certainly above average big league starters, Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez. Now, Luis Arias was a, a 
big player to give up. This is a really, really, really good hitter. But the Twins did have a lot of middle infield kind of depth, and he was playing a lot of first base, which wasn't ideal. Um, so I understand why they did it, but I also understand that that's a little bit of a hurt giving up Luis Arias after he wins a batting title and is just such a good pure hitter. But this is a team that is built to win this year and now. Like you said, it's a matter of health. Um, they, they have had a very active and I think sneaky good offseason. Again, getting Pablo Lopez is a good he's a good pitcher, even if giving up Luis Arias hurts. You know, Kyle Farmer and Michael A. Taylor, you talk about two really, really good bench pieces that you feel pretty good about if okay, if someone gets hurt, you have to give them a little more extended playing time. You feel better than you would have in previous years with some of your guys. Christian Vasquez to catch is a really good player and an upgrade over Gary Sanchez. I mean, the only move that makes me raise my eyebrows a little bit is giving Joey Gallo $11 million. Um, At best, that's an enormous risk. At worst, and I think probably likely it's going to end up being a sunk cost. But if you make four good moves and one doesn't work out, it's, it's still a ratio you're okay with. Is this team truly a competitor? Because we saw last year, again, they were in first place through early August, but they really tailed off. The Guardians look really, really good. And importantly, we're moving away from an unbalanced schedule this year. So the Twins have fewer games they get to beat up on the Royals and and some of the weaker teams in the AL Central. I do think they, again, I, I do think so because I do think that that depth should play uh, really play out for them. When I've looked at, when you say, why is this Twins team, when they struggle at times, they've had days in the last two years where they put outfields out there and you're saying, okay, in an ideal world, everyone in this outfield should be playing in AAA. Everyone. And, and there are days that they put out there and after you say, in an ideal world, not everyone in this outfield should be playing at, in the AAA outfield. Like they've had kind of these days where like they just don't have enough they're, they've put starting pitchers out there at times where you're like yeah they're this is probably going to go poorly for them today before the game ever begins i still feel like that they're probably a reliever or two short of where you want to be right now but it's february as we record this and it's not the back of their bullpen they've got yon duran is great and jorge lopez that's a good starting point i just don't know who's going to fit in with them but that's as opposed to at this time, you know, what last year, I think they began the season saying we've got Duran who was not as proven and on help Angel Pagan. I mean, like it's, uh, it's Emilio Pagan, Emilio Pagan, Emilio Pagan, Emilio Pagan. And it's better than that. So um, go for ball central, Emilio Pagan. Yes. So, so what I would say with all of this is, is they are, I feel like in a better spot as far as that. But at the same time, and what's interesting about that is, is as we start diving into the prospect side of this, not many of these guys that we're going to talk about really fit into their 2023 plans if things go well. Because this is a team that now, you mentioned like Joey Gallo is a risk. I don't think there's any question. But the thing that's good for the Twins is they're not going to, in a situation where they have to say Joey Gallo is out there and it doesn't matter whether he hits, you know, he's the best version of Joey Gallo or the worst version. We don't have a choice. He's part of an outfield where we just talked about it's Buxton and Gallo and Taylor and Kepler and Larnack and, you know, potentially Royce Lewis. And if you needed to, Nick Gordon can play out there. He's played out there before. And we could, 
Alex Kirloff's probably going to play first base, but Kirloff's play like there's a lot of guys. They have a lot of options at these spots. With before we ever get to the Matt Walners of the world, a guy who did reach the majors for them last year, you know, and, and was playing pretty regularly at the end of the season. Yeah, again, there's no question. There's more depth here. It's a better pitching staff, and and we'll see if they're able to get back into uh, you know the the winning record, the winning side of things. It, it is kind of surprising that when you look at it, they've had a losing record each the last two seasons. But like you said, just they haven't had quite enough to get through the year. All right, JJ, that brings us to the top ten in this system, and you've talked about him a little bit already, Royce Lewis. I want to actually ask you more about the construction of the list here and the decision between Royce Lewis and Brooks Lee, who was their first round pick and really uh, just a guy they got as a steal as far down the draft as they did. Royce Lewis is tremendously talented. Number one overall pick in 2017 had some things he had to work through, but, but the talent, the athleticism, the makeup have always been really, really apparent came back from a torn ACL last year and looked like he'd really figured it out. Like the swing was where it needed to be just, as a baseball player, he had truly blossomed. He performed at AAA. He came up to the majors. He showed some really good things there. Looked like he was going to be there to stay. And then his, he tore his ACL again. Um, just an awful, awful, awful run of luck for a, a really, really talented young player. He's hopefully going to be back at some point this season, barring any setbacks. What's the outlook for him right now? And ultimately, how, how did you end up deciding whether to put him or Brooks Lee number one when, when as talented as Lewis is, he does now have, you know, two ACL tears that, that have sidelined him for significant time? Right. It does seem crazy to say, but I really actually do think that Royce Lewis is, I feel better about him as a prospect this year than I did going into last year. And that's kind of why he's number one. And that sounds weird because, he well, he hadn't played second... since 2019, so yeah, I mean, right. yes. <laughs> right, but what I'm saying, though, is but he came into last year with injury concerns, and then he seemed to verify those injury concerns by blowing out his knee again. But the flip side of it is is what you just said or a little a minute ago, which is offensively, there have been questions. He, he's had times where he's really struggled. He's had to fix some things in his swing. And what we saw when Royce Luce was healthy last year was a much better, a much more complete offensive player than the one that we saw the last time we saw him, which again was a long time ago. You know, we did get some AFL and all that, you know, but like it was, you know, we had seen, we had not seen Royce Lewis have this sustained stretch of offensive impact in, in quite a while. And I think a key component of this is, is like when you look at, when you try to combine scouting and data, there are data points that are kind of, I would describe as noisy. And there are other points that, that stabilize pretty quickly. And one of the hardest things to fake, if you say, Oh, this guy's average exit below is pretty high. Okay. Well you can, I, I don't mean fake, but that can be something that there's some noise to, right? If you say that this guy uh, has a 320 batting average, but he did it in a hundred at bats. That's something that, Okay, let's see what he does over another 200, 300 at bats, right? Sometimes you there's you don't want to make over sweeping generalizations off of something like that. But one thing that does stabilize pretty quickly, hitting the ball hard and consistently hitting the ball hard is something that the data on that stabilizes pretty quickly. That even in Royce Lewis's very min- very limited minor and major league season last year, 
he hit the ball really hard consistently. And that makes me feel better about him as an offensive player than I did coming into the year. Two knee injuries, two significant, two ACL tears is not great. There's not a whole lot of medical research on that for baseball players because we just don't have a whole lot of baseball players who've torn their ACL twice, but we do have it in football. There's other sports too, but I looked at it and then tried to look at some of the, the medical research on this in football because there are orthopedists out there that will do studies as far as return to play rates, effectiveness, all that. And one of the things that stands out with a second ACL injury to the same knee in football, in pro football, is the success rate of players coming back from that is actually quite high. It's not, uh, it's not something where having one ACL injury is fine because we've seen a thousand players come back from that. But a second one means you have a chronic problem that really there's a pretty high success rate of second ACL injuries, return rates being very similar to first ACL injuries. So that kind of diving in and doing the research on that made me feel better about Royce Lewis's chances of coming back from a second significant knee injury. He's obviously not going to be their shortstop, they would hope now, because they have this guy named Carlos Correa. But I do view him as kind of the Swiss army knife of the 2023 twin season. He shouldn't, he may push to be ready for opening day, but I, I think they're the realistic timetable on him being ready to go is a little later than that. But when he is ready, he, this is a guy who I, I feel like take catcher out of it. He could almost play anywhere else. If their twins needed it. I'm not joking. When I say, if you said, at midpoint of the season, their biggest problem is first base. Okay, make Royce Lewis your first baseman for the rest of the year. Not I think realistically, you'd move uh, if if Karloff got hurt, you'd probably move Jose Miranda to first, and then and then Lewis. I, third, I, I, I don't disagree, <laughs> but if if you're in a scenario where Jose Miranda has somehow, and I do mean somehow, been a revelation at third base, where it's like, <laughs> wow, this guy's way better defensively than we ever imagined. You could put Royce Lewis first. I agree with you. That seems like the most likely thought is, is let's take our limited third baseman defensively. Royce Lewis will be better, but he can play in the outfield. He can play almost anywhere. And that's a really useful player. Yeah, I was going to ask positionally where he fits best. Uh, he has seen, when I say time in center field, uh, one game at St. Paul last year and one game in Minnesota last year. And even that one game was only three innings in center field. So he doesn't have a ton of experience in center. He's and, played two games and in blew left. his knee out. Short. I should go. Oh, sorry, blew his knee out in that third inning, which is why he only played three innings. Yeah, where he has played a little more now. It's been a few years, but. In the fall league in 2019, and again, it's been a few years at this point, mm -hmm. he primarily played third base. And that was where he was actually really impressive. Uh, I remember just watching him out there. He was really impressive offensively because that was where you saw the swing was finally coming together. Everything was in sync. And, okay, this is the player we want to see. But he was also pretty darn good over at third base. kind of led to the belief that, okay, if he does move off of short, there's been thoughts that he could play center since he was in high school, since I saw him at J. Sarah. And you obviously saw the athleticism for him to do it. But just seeing him in the fall league, watching him play third, it's like, you know, you can put him there, and, and he has a chance to be really good over there. Just looking at the Twins, given Byron Buxton's on a long-term deal, obviously has injuries. Carlos Correa at short is, is on a long-term deal. 
um, although there's concern about his ankle. It does seem like when Royce Lewis comes back, the best fit would be for him to go to third base. Do you see that, or do you see him more that that Swiss Army knife for a short today, center the next day, third the next day? I think a lot of that depends on Jose Miranda. I'm probably kind of a skeptic, not on Jose Miranda, the hitter, but on Jose Miranda, the third baseman. I, If Jose Miranda in the first half or whatever t- period of time it is that you need to get a full evaluation shows himself to be really stretched there at third, which I think is a reasonable, like is a, a very possible outcome. If that happens, the most logical thing you do is you say, Royce Lewis, you're our third baseman. You still have Kyle Farmer to be your backup at second, short, and third. So it's not like you don't have a capable backup at all those positions. You also have Nick Gordon, who's played all those guys. You you have multiple other kind of utility guys. That makes the most sense. And like, if you look at it long-term also, if you look at, to me, where just long-term where the Twins are going to need Royce Lewis... If you say that Carlos Correa, assuming that his ankle is you know capable of him holding up at shortstop for multiple years to come, the most logical spot for Royce Lewis is third base because they don't really have like there there there's not a whole lot of other options at third base coming up through the minors, um, other than Brooks Lee, who also could play. We could we could be played the same game with Brooks Lee that we're playing with Royce Lewis, but those are kind of the two guys who are logical at third base or second uh, going forward. It, it does not make sense to me to move Royce Lewis to the outfield when he's capable of playing in the dirt, unless calamity strikes. So third is the most logical spot for me, but with the idea that he's also enough of a backup, like kind of like what, what Alex Bregman did with Carlos Correa and when Houston, where it's like, ideally he's your third baseman who on a day that Correa's DHing or whatever, you slide him over to short. You don't want him to forget how to play short, but you don't make it his primary position because you've got your franchise player at short. Absolutely. Again, hopefully Royce Lewis is able to pick up where he left off last year. Uh, certainly really, really promising. It was really, really a bummer to see him uh, tear his ACL a second time. But um, again, we'll see what he's able to do and, and hopefully he's able to come back healthy and and continue to produce all right jj we're going to take a quick break and we're going to dive into the rest of the system after that keep it here on the ba prospects podcast we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we are back breaking down the Minnesota Twins farm system. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside JJ Cooper. All right, JJ, we talked about the Twins outlook as a whole, Royce Lewis, how he fits into that. The other player who is kind of in the mix here to be the number one prospect in this system and is really not that much further behind Lewis on our top 100 is Brooks Lee. Uh, He fell to the eighth overall pick in the draft last year. And um, frankly, just looking at who went ahead of him, there's at least two guys he's significantly better than. And in a lot of ways, the Twins got lucky he fell. Uh, this was one of the best pure hitters and, and really the best pure hitter in college baseball last year. I remember being at a game uh, where he was uh, out for, with Cal Poly and talking to an evaluator and watching both of his swings. I was talking to an assistant GM and made the point. It's like, I love how his he's a switch hitter. It's like, I love how his right-handed swing is his bad swing. And it's still like a better swing than 90% you'll see out there. Um, another evaluator I spoke to made the point where if you like him, he's a 70 hitter. If you don't like him, he's a 60 hitter. The guy can just absolutely hit. Um, there's just health concerns and some positional questions. What do the twins have here? And, and I have to ask, were they doing, you know, backflips that they got him at eighth overall? I, I think they were quite happy that, yes, that he was still sitting there on the board when they, when they got to pick. And it did make that, you know, kind of a little bit easier, uh, a little easier decision. The thing that just stands out is what you said, which is this is a player. Are there players who could end up being better than Brooksley in the draft? Sure. But if you want to say guys that you're just confident are going to play in the big leagues and probably move pretty quickly to that spot to where they're playing the big leagues before too long, Brooksley's very high up on that list. If you, if you're nitpicking him, he's probably, I mean, again, he's a shortstop. Who's not a shortstop long-term when we talk about Royce Lewis as a shortstop who's going to move, I, I would say with that, that if you were in a different situation, Royce Lewis could play shortstop long-term. Right. I wouldn't say that with Brooks Lee. Like Brooks Lee is drafted as a shortstop, but with the idea, and again, ideally it's third. If you said, where does he fit long-term? You just move him to third. You let him hit. He should be an at least average, if not above average defender at third. and just plug him into your lineup in a couple of years. Like the, 
the funny thing is, is the closest guy, they're different how they do it. But like, if you said production wise, what do you kind of hope to see out of Brooks Lee? It's kind of, you hope to see what you saw out of Luis Arias in many ways, like, which is a guy who hits 300 in a good year, hits 310, you know, in a really good year. And just battles and gives you great at bat after great at bat. I think that there's power there, but I don't think it's ever going to be the key part of this game. I think it's going to be a bat, a hit first uh, approach, but, and as you said, he's not far behind. This is a guy who should move very quickly through the minors um, just because there's so much polish. There's so much understanding of the game where like you're not, you're going to, you're you're going to send him out, I would imagine, this year on an aggressive assignment with the expectation that he'll handle that aggressive assignment and by midseason be looking and saying, okay, send me up another level. I'm ready to go. And it's not crazy to say that in 2024, you could be looking at, okay, is this guy ready at some point in 24 to, to help the big league club? Yeah, he got to double A last year after being drafted. And, and like we've said, I mean, this is a surefire as long as he stays healthy and that is the big thing with him i want to address with you i mean 290 with 15 homers is the low end and 310 with 20 homers is is very possible and realistic he's always looked more like a second baseman than a third baseman to me just in terms of the actions the way he moves but if you want to stick him at third he can certainly do it i will say the one big caveat with all this is he has a pretty lengthy injury history um, with his back there's been a lot of pulls and strains Things have just, you know, knocked him out for a little bit here and there. And that's a big reason why he fell to eighth overall. Because on talent, mm-hmm. again, there's at least two guys that went ahead of him. He's way more talented than, and you can argue more than that. Um, but the health is a concern. How do you kind of assess that? Twins fans are like, oh, so wait, let me back up here for a second. So you're saying a really talented player who has trouble staying on the field. Huh. Okay, have we ever had anyone like that? Like, again, you can't help but think of, they're very different players. But, like, I I do think that he is a guy kind of like Byron Buxton in some way where you're not penciling in for 160. You're really looking at, you'd love to get a good 130 out of Brooks Lee going forward just because there is enough of an injury history that some of this almost, I, I would best describe it as he has enough recurring issues that you could kind of think of it as preventative in some ways, potentially where you're like, we're going to shut you down for two weeks so that this minor problem doesn't become a major one. Now there always are examples. Like there are examples of players, Anthony Rendon's injury history in the college baseball and in the minors was pretty horrific. And then it kind of, a lot of that was fluky though, right? It was, he get, he'd get hit on the hand. There were, there were broken bone type things. Brooks Lee's are more of the kind where it's like, no, this is more of repetitive type injuries. These are the more back issues have been around since he was in yeah. high school. They've been around for a while. Yeah, so, no, we'll, we'll see. But I think that's the concern. Yeah, yeah, that's why he was part of one of the reasons he was there at that spot. Yeah, nonetheless, a really talented player. And if you're just you know judging the talent, um, certainly a guy who who is firmly top 100 and, and has a chance to have been a steal for the Twins in the draft at eighth overall. JJ, I do want to ask you about number three prospect on this list, Emmanuel Rodriguez. As we were putting this together, these were the clear-cut top three prospects. Rodriguez, talk about, again, really talented player, 
did not stay on the field last year. There's a little bit of a theme here. You know, Royce Lewis, Brooks Lee did stay on the field last year, but he has a lot of injury concerns in his past. Emmanuel Rodriguez only played a half season, but what a half season it was. Um, what do the Twins have here, and, and what do you make of him, and, and how do you judge it when it was kind of a small sample, as exciting as it was? Oh, he's the guy who you can, if you wanted to, you could make the case for him number one on this list. If you are just, if you said, give me the guy who has the chance to be the best of this group, there's a chance for Emmanuel Rodriguez. But you would also, to me, that would be very, that'd be too aggressive right now. As you noted, it's not even a half season. It's You're right. It's actually close to a third of a season now that I look at it. Yeah. Right. It's like a great April and May and then end of season, knee injury for him. Uh, And so you're like, okay, you want to see him do it over a longer stretch of time. That said, to go back to the Royce Lewis point I made, hitting the ball hard is not something you can fake. Emmanuel Rodriguez, for his age, for the level he was at, had the ability to consistently hit the ball exceptionally hard. And on top of that, now if you want to argue, you could argue he's a little too passive. Emmanuel Rodriguez says, this is the strike zone. This is the strike zone. I will not swing outside of this zone. I I can be beaten sometimes inside this zone, but you will not beat me by throwing sliders you know, two strike sliders off the plate by bouncing a curveball, by throwing a change up below the zone. All of that, I am immune to that. Those do not bother me. If you want to beat me, you're going to have to beat me in the strike zone. And for a teenage hitter, that's a great start. If you said, give me the building blocks of a guy and said he understands the strike zone to an extremely advanced level for his age. And he hits the ball really hard when he makes contact. Great. So I've, I've got the point, the parts right there to be a high OBP, high slugging guy. Now, can he be beaten in the zone with quality stuff? Yeah. That's the, that's the to-do list for him. That said, Okay. This is a very different to-do list than most teenage hitters that we talk about. Usually we're talking about them. I mean, hundreds of players over the years were like, yeah, he's got great bat speed. If he makes contact, he hits it really hard, but he's vulnerable to chasing sliders out of the zone. Or you can get him to expand. Or once he learns to just lay off that pitch, then he's going to really do something. Emmanuel Rodriguez already knows how to do that. And that's a really hard skill to have at the age he has it. And that's what gives him the chance to be, if it all comes together, a really top-tier hitter because that's that's kind of one of the hardest skills to develop. But he now needs to be healthy. He now needs to show he can do it over a longer season. And he now needs to show that as he faces better competition, better pitching, that – that he can, again, that he can win in the zone more than he loses. Dutch, yeah, again, certainly. I would take that over the other, but quality fastballs can a little bit sometimes be an issue for him. 
Yeah, certainly a very exciting player. It, like you said, it's, it's 47 games at low A, so you can't completely pull the trigger yet, but you see the base foundation. That certainly gets you excited. JJ, as we were putting this list together, again, you spearheaded it. We all talked through it. The top three prospects in this system were very, very clear cut. Once you got into the middle group, though, this kind of four to seven range, it was very fluid. A lot of guys with this exact same grades on them, moving them around a little bit. How did you kind of stack this group up? And ultimately, how did you settle on it the way you did? Yeah, the rest of this was almost like I, I think at one point, Louis Varlin may have been fourth on this list and he ended up eighth. So just to give you an idea, like it's kind of like, what is your preference here? We ended up with Edward Julian, Julian as our uh, number four prospect. And remember what I just talked about when long time ago, we talked about Emmanuel Rodriguez and we talked about guys <laughs> who can hit for power and get on base. Well, that's Edward. That's, that's Julian. That's like, that's what he does now. Well, I'll say he can hit period. He's got one of the most, I, I had never seen him before the fall league this year. And it's going and saying that's one of the most beautiful left-handed swings. You'll see just line drives over the shortstop head, shortstop's head in the left center. And he was the talk leader. That's just, that's a beautiful left-handed swing. It is now. When we talked about Royce Lewis and we said, where can he play defensively? <laughs> and we said, I think he can play almost anywhere if you needed him to. Edward Julian's kind of the opposite of that. And if you say, where can he play defensively? It's like, I don't know if he can play anywhere regularly. That's the question. Like he has tried to play third. He's tried to play second. There's a lot of defensive questions with him and they aren't getting a whole lot better i mean he's not a terrible athlete it's not like he's not got some athleticism he's just not a very fluid smooth consistent defender and wherever he plays the ball does seem to find him in less than opportune ways um but i i kind of do say with that that like if you can hit that's the the most important thing you can do and so there are going to be reasons to try to figure out a way to find him a spot and much of what we're saying about him, his defense is worse. But when we're talking about Jose Miranda a year a year ago, there were questions about where he would fit defensively. And we just said, if you're hit, they'll figure it out. And uh, and to to his to Miranda's credit, he's hit, so they're trying to figure it out. You kind of hope if you're the twins that that's what you're talking about with Edward Julian, where you say, let's work him in as a DH to start with, maybe, he, you know, and then let's figure it out from there. He does have position versatility. He just doesn't have a lot of positional value almost wherever you put him. Yeah, I mean, right now you look at the Twins starting lineup and they don't really have a clear DH. I mean, I guess if you wanted to, you could put Nick Gordon as your DH or give, you know, Trevor Larnack or Ryan Jeffers some at-bats there, you know, mixing and matching some guys in. But yeah, I mean, this is one of those situations where if you just say, okay, Edward Julian, go be our DH every day and mash and be a really good, impactful offensive player. I think he could do it. And yeah, the bat's certainly promising. And and as you said, if you can hit, someone will find a spot for you. Ty France is the ultimate example of that. JJ, moving down this system, how would you describe the, the strengths of this system? We've talked about, you know, at times they've had trouble developing pitching, but you look at the top 10, it's evenly spread out. Five pitchers, five position players. What would you kind of say are the strengths of the system and, and where are some holes that still need to be filled? Strength wise, uh, they have a lot of guys at the, they'll have a triple A rotation of pitchers who 
some of whom have graduated from this list. Josh Winder is not eligible for this list anymore. But they'll have a rotation of pitchers who, if you rewind the clock to two years ago, many of whom would be in their rotation if they were of that caliber. Like you look at a guy like a Louis Varlin, you look at a Simeon Woods Richardson, you look at, again, we just talked about Josh Winder. Those are probably right now, that's penciled in to be part of their AAA rotation. You could throw Jordan Milosevic had a very disappointing year last year, but bounce back candidate in his case, you could throw maybe even like you could throw Matt, you know, once he comes back from injury, I think Matt Canarino probably just goes to the pen, you know, but they have a lot of pitchers who have upper level experience who should be able to help a big league club in 2023. So that's the strength. The weakness I would say is I don't think their depth is what it was. And I, I can give you a, probably a, a pretty quick answer for why. So let's go through the 2021 draft for the twins. Okay. Chase Petty, first round pick traded. Okay. Noah Miller, supplemental first round pick still a twin. Steven Hajar from Michigan, the lefty second round pick traded. Cade Povich, the third round pick traded. Christian Ercanasio Strand, the fourth round pick traded. Are you sensing a theme here? Like they have traded a number of these guys to make moves to try to help the big league club. And so if you trade four of your top five picks from the draft two years ago, your depth probably, Kate Povich is a really interesting guy for the uh, Orioles now, but that's the guy who, if he was part of this twins list, he'd be in the top 10 probably right now. Had a really good breakout year. So I don't think the depth is what it was, especially when the list you do, like you get to the 30, that 20 to 30 range on some list, you're like, oh, I still really think these guys project as as solid, potentially solid big leaguers if it all breaks right. And and then you get to the back of the twins list and you had guys like Aaron Sabato, who really hasn't done a whole lot since being a first round pick. And you have guys like Steven Cruz, who they've since have moved. When we did this list, he's been, you know, he's gone now, but it's like, this is a hard throwing reliever who's kind of hasn't ever figured it out. You have guys like Michael Hellman here, like, okay, this is a utility guy if it all breaks right. There's just not the depth that there was a few years ago because of all the moves they've made. Yeah, but I think at the same time, you say if you can trade depth prospects for big league starters as they've done, it's certainly a worthwhile trade. Mm -hmm. You mentioned him real quick, real briefly. I do want to ask you, what's the latest on Aaron Sabato and also Keone Cavaco, uh, back-to-back first-round picks that so far, at least statistically, have not worked out? What's the latest on both of them? So Sabato did make the very back of the 30, and I would say, as I just said, that as partly because the back of this 30 was really thin. Keone Cavaco did not make the 30. He did not make the 40. He's like... The reality of it is the twins have really, really struggled, especially those couple of years there with first round picks. They've been a lot better. Actually, the thing that they've been really good at is kind of the mid round pitcher who ends up, they've done better with the Louis Varlins and the David Festas and the guys like that, the Cade Poviches than they have with their first round picks. And but no, I mean, the reality is, is Sabato has reached double A. If you, he really just struggles to hit quality pitching, which when you are a bat only profile, I mean, he's a first baseman who's does not run, not great defensively. 
you're a bad only profile. That's that's kind of rough. And Keanu Kavako, over and over, like I, you have your profiles, like the the high school pitcher. If you had to tell Kyle, hey, I've, I've seen this high school pitcher. He throws 101 right now. Kyle, run, like run like, away as fast as you but, can. Uh, run, treat him like he throws 82 and run. <laughs> right. That that's not a Kyle demographic. Okay, I'll give you my version that's, of that. That's not it's a successful demographic at all. <laughs> but here's mine. The guy who is the high school position player who didn't play or didn't perform during the summer showcase circuit, but looks great that, and for whatever reason it is, whether it's he was hurt the summer before, whether it's he really didn't get exposure the summer before, whatever it is, the guy who everyone runs in to see that spring of his draft year and goes, wow, this guy looks great. And the reason I say that is, is that when I think of Austin Beck and when I think of Keone Cavaco and when I think of Connor Scott and when I think of guys like this, there's just too many examples of this where this is why I do believe the success rate on high school position players has actually gotten better. When you get to see those guys over a full summer facing quality pitching week in, week out, you get a much better read. I don't care what. Keone Kavako came from one of the best areas of the country as far as high school talent, but you're still not going to see the consistency of what you see pitching wise in the summer showcase circuit. So it was really interesting, you know, Kavako being kind of mild stomping grounds. He went to East Lake High School. And it was actually, I remember I've talked about this before on previous Twins podcasts. So, so longtime listeners, forgive me if you're hearing this again. Doing draft calls that year for SoCal, Keone Kavako was one of the most polarizing players around and what it was was the cross checkers who were dropping in to see him for a game or two games they loved him because they saw these big tools they saw athleticism he was super young and they were like yep i'm biting and then they moved on to their next target the area scouts who were watching him day in and day out throughout the season were saying he can't hit anyone above 86 87 and i wouldn't take him i mean if you the best I heard was like fifth, sixth round. So the area guys were not on it for the most part. There were a few, but for the most part, the area guys were not, but the cross checkers loved it. He had put up some big data uh, during a batting practice in Anaheim that a lot of the people, the analysts around loved it, but the people who actually watched him day in and day out were like, this, this is a fifth, sixth rounder. If you like him, and it's more of a raw tools pick. I, I just don't see him hitting even slightly above average high school pitching very consistently. Um, and then Aaron Sabato, I remember one of the more interesting dynamics that came out of the 2020 draft, as we're seeing, is, is not off to a great start, was that was the year, obviously, evaluators had to do everything on video. I remember talking to um, a, a scout who had, had seen him, you know, video as an amateur and then saw him um, in his pro debut, and he talked about it. It's very, very, very hard to get a good read on bat speed on video. And when you're watching on video... You couldn't see it as well as once you got out and watched him live. It was clear from day one. He did not have the bat speed to catch up. You mentioned high quality pitching. He didn't have the bat speed to catch up to 91, 92 in low A as a college uh, draftee. And so I think those are two interesting case studies of, you know, where things in the draft can kind of go wrong. 2019, you're going off data and, you know, short looks when the guys were on the ground every week are saying, hey, this just isn't there. He doesn't hit enough. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard that about Cavaco, but then my calls with cross checkers, they loved him. And then 2020, again, the limits of video scouting when it comes to bat speed, 
it can be tougher to tell. Now, some guys, they're outliers, and you can see it from a mile away, but there's other guys where it might look fine on video, and then you see it in person. It's like, oh, that's at least a tick too slow, if not two or three. And it seems like that's what happened with Sabato. Yeah, so, but I, I would say on the flip side, to kind of end this on a more positive note, <laughs> um, you know, I, I do think there are also some young uh especially some young international signees like we didn't, you know, who we haven't talked about who are very interesting. Yasser Mercedes almost made the top 10. Uh, that's a kind of a fascinating dude. Uh, Brian Acuna uh, may recognize that last name. Uh, you, you should um, is a guy who started, when I started writing it, I kind of thought he was going to be at the back of the top 30 and then you write him, And as you write him, and then you make another call or two and you're like, he just keeps moving up. He just keeps moving up. Because, you know, I, I love this is part of the process I love. You write guys and sometimes you write a guy and the mere process of writing out what he is, what you think he is, I should say, moves him up or it moves him down. Because once you kind of put it on digital, you know, uh, on the digital page, it kind of solidifies everything for you. And Brian Acuna is one of those guys who the more you kind of thought about it, it's like, this guy's really good. This guy's really interesting. Far away but there's a lot of good attributes here. And I, I do feel like that this is the team that has a couple of those guys who will be interesting to watch and to see what they turn out for in 23, 24, really in some cases, 25, 26, because we're talking about very young players. And the good news is they don't have to be rushed. We've talked about it. The twins are a team that are built to compete. Now they've made a lot of moves to that effect. And who knows, maybe these guys will be used in trade pieces um, given the Twins' actions the last few years. I think that's it's very likely given that's the track they're on. At the same time, if they keep them, they can let them develop at their own pace, don't have to rush anybody, which at the end of the day is always the best thing for both the player and the franchise itself. JJ, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciated your insight and time as always. It's always great talking baseball with you. It is always fun. Thank you, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another BA podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.